I was in church. How many of you are like me, where like the first Sunday that you were in existence, that you were a baby, that you were in church that Sunday? Yeah, that was me. I was in church every single Sunday was possible, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And one of the, my first memories of church is the, or, or the, was this huge old-fashioned Sundays that they used to do. And my church would do them big. It was like a fair atmosphere after the morning service. Kids could spend their Baptist bucks. That's literally what they were called. <laughs> Baptist bucks that they would earn through all of the Sunday schools. And if you brought your Bible, you got a Baptist buck. And you've got your, uh, you know, all these different things. And you could get toys and candy at the old-fashioned Sunday. One year they had Tony the Tiger. I'm not sure why, but he was there. Uh, every year, the men, this was awesome, and I, I, I wish I could do this again, uh, where they would cook sweet corn over these hot coals. They spread out these hot coals, and I tried to walk over them a couple times, and it, it didn't work out. But the sweet corn, you would just eat it, and they would just be awesome. Uh, they gave out live bags of goldfish for some reason. That was something they just used to do, and I'm sure none of them made it through that night because nobody was prepared to take care of a fish, but his parents got that fish. And uh, they had to figure out what to do with it. Our church also did something kind of crazy. They would build these whole Western sets. They had houses and a saloon, and they even had horses. And they would do these elaborate skits for the kids. And sometimes they even had real dynamite explosions. And the kids were just in awe. My dad was always the bad guy in a, a black hat. And they called him Dangerous Dan. And that's one of my earliest memories of church, and it's a good memory. I've got other types of memories of church as well, but this is one of my first memories. And if you've been in church a long time, you've probably got some uh, way that you can relate to the, a sweet memory of, of something that happened as a child. But not everybody has our experience with church. People today when they think of church, think of all kinds of things. Some, and you'll hear it every once in a while, some think the church and Christianity is the reason for many of our problems today. Hypocrisy and division and scandal and prejudices abound. Other people think church is a pretty good thing. Uh, they're not in the position where they're willing to take the time and participate in church, but maybe one day. And then others believe that the people known as the church are a special group of people that encourage us and accept us and uplift us as we worship God together and attempt to look more like Jesus. There's lots of different ideas out there when you think of the church. Well, the original Greek word in the Bible for church is ekklesia, and it is a word that is made up of two different words, one meaning out of and the other to call. So the definition that we come up with in English is a called out assembly of people. That is what an ecclesia is. And we're going to start off this year talking about who we are going to be and who we should be, who we should be as church members, who we should be as a church, as an ecclesia. For example, this word is used in Acts 11.26, and it says that Barnabas and Saul met with the church. They met with this group of people, the ecclesia in Antioch. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says that he had persecuted the church before his conversion. He persecuted the ecclesia 
of God. This called out assembly of people who were believers, who were called out to be different from the world by being salt and light. Way back in 2017, we went through a series called Remember, about what it means to be a church member. How many of you were here in 2017? Remember way back there. How many have come since 2017? That's pretty crazy, right? A lot of people, uh, when you're a church that's this old, sometimes you can uh, you know, forget that not everybody's been here for 175 years, you know? Uh, but we talked about this idea, remember, about what to do and how to be a church member. And many of the thoughts from that series were taken from a book called I Am a Church Member by Tom Rainier. And we've got some copies back there in the next step area if you want to uh, have one of those. You've got to read it if you're going to take one. Uh, but if you're interested, and really dive deep into what it means to be a church member. And we're going to echo some and build on some of those thoughts from 2017. But I believe that just like society has a lot of ideas about what a church is and what that word church means, we also have a, a bunch of different definitions about what a church member is. What is a member of this called out people known as the church? And so when we have an issue with that, and when church, churches in America don't know what a member is, then you've got many buildings that are full of people whose name is on a roll somewhere, in a file somewhere, but they aren't members as defined by the Bible. Let's do a real quick thought exercise. You imagine two different families, two different sets of people, and they both go to the same church, and they got very different, though, opinions of the church. They both joined because they thought that it was the best church around, and they say things like, I love this church. But over time, these two different sets of people go in very different directions. One remains happy, and they serve, and they give, and they grow, and they worship. But the other person begins to be unsatisfied. Why? Because they find out that church members have flaws. And that church members sin. And that sometimes they can be hypocrites. Or maybe they get upset because the pastor didn't visit their aunt's best friend who lives in Kentucky when she had her root canal. And also they forgot to tell them about it. Or they have these ideas like the pastors don't care about me or nobody reaches out to me. The pastor needs to, to make time for me. And they say things like, the music isn't my style anymore. It's not like the old days. It was better back then. I'm not being fed by the preaching. What makes these two experiences in the same church so different? One person happy and serving, one person unsatisfied and stagnant. And this matters, right? This matters. And more to just than those individuals. This attitude can cause an unhealthy church culture that repels people and distracts from the mission of the church. Statistic tells, statistics, I hate that word so much. Uh, I always get it, mess it up, or I'm just thinking about it. Statistics tell us that nine out of 10 churches today are declining in growth or growing at a, a pace that is slower than their community's growth. Many churches are losing ground in our own backyards. And, and too often the problem isn't that 
People have never tried church. It's that they have tried it, and they were disappointed by the unhealthy attitudes and actions of people known as the church. Josh uh, was just telling me this morning about a lady he talked to about coming to church, and she mentioned that she used to go to church, but the church blew up in an argument, and that soured her on church, and she wasn't sure that she wanted to come back, and that was years ago. And these things affect people, and it affects our mission, our ability to help bring people to Jesus. See, the American culture has a problem, and the American church has a problem. This culture that we've created in the building, we can blame it on those outside the walls. The American church, we can can blame it on godless people, or we can blame it on selfish and sinful pastors, and there are many of those. We can can blame it on hypocritical members, and, and you'll find them. But these things have always existed. These aren't new problems. So what is our issue? What is our problem? The thing that has changed over 2,000 years of church history is the definition of a church member. Today, many churchgoers in America expect the church to serve us and to feed us and to care for us. Programs and styles must serve me. But it wasn't always this way. See, 2,000 years ago, church members understood that they must serve, and it's a, a place to come and serve, not be served, to care for others, not just be cared for. To pray for leaders, not tear them down. To study the Bible themselves and make sure they're being fed spiritually, not just to be asked to be bottle-fed the Bible. To give, not just be given to. And in some cases, 2,000 years ago and, and since then, people even laid down their lives for this assembly of people called the church. And over the last 50 years, and maybe even longer than that, the American church has begun to be a consumer-driven place where it's all about what you can do for me. But here's what Paul told the church in Ephesus about the people of God that he was calling out to assemble in Ephesians 2, 17. It says, and he, that's talking about Jesus, came and preached Peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is telling us that Jesus is wanting and desiring to build this new thing for them called the ecclesia. This new group of people to love God and to love each other and to love their community. Preaching peace and pulling people that are far away from God close No longer strangers, but God's family. See, this is the purpose of the church, to be built together in peace, in unity, and all the while pulling people that are far away, that are strangers from God, close to him. 
See, 2,000 years ago, they had a biblical view of the church. The early church viewed the church through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus thinks of the church in this way in Ephesians 5.25. Paul tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how Jesus feels about the church. He was willing to take those steps to make sacrifices and to put some skin in the game for the church. But see, our American churches are weak because the arrow of service doesn't point towards Jesus and the church and the community. We want it to point towards us. My way, my music, my opinion, my preferences. Pay attention to me. But I want to be different than that. I want to be a first century church member, a biblical church member, a healthy part of the ecclesia, this uh, assembly of people called the church, called out to be different and to bring people that are far away from God close. I want to love the people called the church. About this time, you're beginning to think, ooh, who's in trouble? Why is Pastor Phil talking about this? What's going on? What's the problem? There isn't any problem. Our church is awesome. And that's why it's the perfect time to talk about it. Because we have to be careful. The flow of our priorities and our resources and our attention naturally bends inward. And the longer that we're here and the longer that we're together, the more that we become obsessed with ourselves, always thinking of ourselves first. And it's a constant creep that we have to keep at bay. We've got to refocus that our mission is not about just coddling and pleasing the people inside these walls. It's about bringing people that are far away from God close. We don't want to make church about us. We want to be like the early church, the church that turned the world upside down. Not just consumer Christians that always think about our way and ourselves. Our love for God and one another within this ecclesia should be extending beyond its walls, transforming and flowing into a genuine love for our community. We exist as a outpost, as a beacon, as a lighthouse, pointing the light of God out into this dark world. We're not here to build a kingdom of self. We're here to worship God and to love the people in our community to Jesus. And if we take this seriously, I believe we'll see several different things happen. When we put the mission above all else, we'll stop leaning into our inner critic. I'm a great critic. I would love to just talk to you about all the things that I see wrong in the world, at the local restaurants, uh, with movies. I'm a great critic. And it's a natural thing for us to do. But the Bible calls us to be in unity. And instead of focusing on all the little different things that we disagree in, we focus on the big things that we agree on. Instead of being a complainer, we seek instead to be a unifier. Each of us learning the joy of being last instead of first. I remember as a youth pastor, a common illustration for something like this 
I would talk about is not being the person that would run up to get the last piece of pizza in the pizza box and try and grab it and eat it as quick as you can. But rather being someone that defers to others. Things don't have to be my way. I can defer my opinion for the sake of unity in matters of preference. And we're not talking about doctrine. We're not talking about things in God's word. We're talking about matters of opinion and preference. And this might surprise you, but there are some things that I would do differently if I had all my ways. Pastor Phil, you're the pastor. Yeah, but I'm not the only leader. There are other leaders that that decide that, hey, this is how we should do this. This is how we should do that. And, And it's okay because I don't bear all that myself. I'm not the only leader. It's not about me. So I believe that if we put this mission on the forefront and we remember why we're here, that we'll stop leaning into our inner critic and we'll also continue to see the church change into a healthier church with a greater impact on the world and community when we all are pulling in the same direction. We'll continue to focus our efforts on reaching the local community, not just draining our energy, appeasing and coddling Christians inside these walls. We'll seek to become a more vibrant and healthy and unified church body. Continuing to see people saved and baptized and added to the church. Just like we had last year. We've seen many people drawn to Christ through this community of people. And we can't take our eyes off of it. It's easy. It's so easy. There's a country club in Columbus, Georgia. It has an amazing pool. It's got a state-of-the-art fitness center. It's got massage therapy, a beautiful golf course. I don't like to play golf. I like to look at golf courses, though. They're they're great. They provide child care for you. You can just drop your kids off there and go do whatever you want. They have a place that you can reserve to throw a birthday party. They have trivia night, and they have a Christmas party. They've got tennis courts. It's this amazing country club. And see, what you do is you pay your membership fee, And then you have access to all these privileges. And many of us don't probably have the means to be a member of some fancy country club. But I imagine it's a pretty amazing thing to be a part of. It seems like they take really good care of you. Membership has its perks. Membership means that other people will serve you. You just pay the going rate and you can have other people take care of you while you live a life of leisure. And sadly, this is what many members in American churches believe about church membership, too. And you'll hear things like, look, pastor needs to remember who pays his salary. I've been a member of this church for 30 years, so I have the right to get what I want. I've paid my dues. This is my church. They should play the music I want to play. They should should paint the walls the color I believe that they should be painted. Or you might even hear, I don't pay good mother to have, uh, good, good mother, good money. I don't pay good money to have the pastor step all over my toes. And you may say, well, do people really say things like that? Yes, sometimes they do. You'd be surprised what people say. I don't hear it a lot here, but I've been a part of a lot of other churches. More often than they say it, they act like it. 
And they would say it if they could, but they know that it's wrong, but they still have those feelings and thoughts inside of them. But the problem with these statements is they come from an unbiblical view of church membership. What they really want is to be part of a country club, but they probably, like me, can't afford it. For them, membership is about receiving, not giving. It's about rights, not responsibilities. It's about entitlements, not sacrifices. But tithes and offerings are not membership dues that entitle members to a never-ending list of privileges. Tithes and offerings are supposed to be a habitual and cheerful gift to God that we set aside from our finances and say, I can do more with less because I'm obeying God in my tithes and offerings. And I'm going to set every paycheck, I'm going to put a little bit aside so that I might remember who gave it to me. So what else does the Bible say about being a part of a called out assembly of people known as the church? Much of the New Testament is actually written to local churches, the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, the church of Philippi. And it's assumed that as a Christian that you would be an active member of a local church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, it's all about what it means to be a church member. Chapter 12 says that we are a body. And we're going to read this, this whole part in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. You read it with me, okay? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are of the body, though many are of one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greek, that means uh, you know, race is not an issue. Slaves or free, that's economic status, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not of the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not of the eye, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, biblical membership is not country club membership. It doesn't say that all the other members make sure that you're happy and that you're satisfied. No, the place, the, this thing called the body of the church is where we all come together and we serve each other. Biblical membership says we're all pieces of this ecclesia and all of us bring something like members of a body. Members that make up a whole. And if a member isn't functioning, then the body suffers. There, and our church does a really good job of making sure that, or we do our best anyway, making sure that we don't burn just a few people out, right? We try and make sure that if you work in the nursery, that you work like once every six or seven weeks. If you work in the children's ministry, you're not in there every Sunday. 
And we try our best to make sure that we are allowing you to worship and to serve together and not just use just a few people. But the issue with that can be that we are tempted to sit back and let everybody else serve us. Rather than all of us, if we would just take a small part of the mission, and it's bigger than just, you know, serving in the nursery. That's just one thing. It's out there in the community. We all have a place. We all have a mission, a function to perform. And when we don't, the body suffers. Members are different, but they work together. So right after this, it just talks about how we're all part of the body of Christ and how we're all part of the members of the ecclesia. Just a few verses later in chapter 13, it establishes that love should be the central attitude and action of every member. Now, I'll read this. You don't have to read it with me. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And verse 13 ends and says, now faith Hope and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. See, this is not mainly a chapter, a passage about a wedding. And that's most often when we hear these verses read, talking about romantic love. But that's not what it's talking about. Although these things should be involved in romantic love. This is talking in the context of a church. This is a letter written to a church right after it talks about how we're all part of the body and we all function. Members that are founded in love, everything we do motivated by our love for God, not the love of praise, not the love of prominence. Can you imagine churches across America full of church members that lived out first Uh, Corinthians 13, together in a body, church members motivated by love to show patience and kindness, not envying each other, not boastful, not conceited, not selfish, not easily provoked to anger, not keeping a record of wrongs where you know everything that someone's ever done for you or to you, not insisting on having their own way, not rude or arrogant. Can you imagine if every member was like that? That would be a church that would change the world. It would be so different from what happens in society and what happens on the internet and what happens in workplaces. It would draw people to it if we would live out 1 Corinthians 13 together in the ecclesia. People would take notice if we acted on those characteristics. We're also able to show the love of members that we don't like, the weird ones, right? 
the unlovable ones. We're to love the unlovable. Why? Because you aren't always lovable. We're to pray for our pastors even when we do things that we disagree with. We need to serve even when others aren't serving. Church membership is found on unconditional love. The love of Christ. The love of God. The love of people. And the love for a community as we go. So how do we live out being a biblical member of an ecclesia? We give abundantly and serve without hesitation because the Bible tells us it's better to give than to receive. No strings attached. Even if the church decides to paint the lobby gray instead of tan. Giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures. A good church member is like a good body member. It functions. It has a purpose. It fulfills its purpose. The phrase inactive church member is an oxymoron. It doesn't have any meaning. Members are meant to perform functions just like members of your body. We're called to be active. You have a place to fulfill the mission. And it might not always be that you're a volunteer here at Clarksburg Baptist Church and you do this and you do that and you do this. It can be out in the community. And it can be joining alongside another ministry or another organization that's on the front lines of loving people. Pointing towards Christ is the reason why. Maybe that means, though, you do step into something here. Maybe you become a greeter. Or maybe you begin to work with the children on Sunday morning, or you volunteer to serve at the Clarksburg Mission, or you help the uh, friends feeding friends, or you come and serve alongside the people at Celebrate Recovery. But it also means you live these things out all the time. Not just when the church schedules it. Not just on Sunday morning. There's nothing more amazing than when church members minister to our community on their own time, organizing themselves and joining efforts already going on in our community and just living out the gospel. Because our love for God and one another within this ecclesia should extend beyond its walls, transforming and flowing into a genuine love for our community, bringing people far away from God close. We're not here to build a kingdom of self. We're here to worship God and to love the people in our community to Jesus. And God has a place for you, a purpose for you to live that out. People for you to help. Because Christ loves the people known as the local church. And he wants you to be a part of a body of believers. And he wants you to perform functions and to do things and to, and to contribute. And it's going to be way better for you because if you sit around and do nothing, you will instantly become critical and sour and bitter. But when you give and you function and you participate, it's so much better for your soul. The church is this place where we come together as the body to serve Christ and to show this world that Jesus loves them. The challenge from Scripture is for us to commit to giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures, cheerfully and abundantly here and in the community, serving and ministering abundantly without hesitation. 
A church member that says, I will not let this church be about me and my preferences and opinions and desires. Instead, I'll be a functioning and unifying member of the body of people called the church. That's the type of church member that I want to be. And we need to redefine for this generation that the church as a people means love for God, love for people, and love for our community. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We can, as we sit and, and listen and to be challenged by words like this, which I've been challenged all week as I prepare for this message, how I can do better myself and be better and lead better in these directions of, of putting other people's needs before my own and deferring and to love God and to be a first uh, Corinthians 13 Christian patient and loving and kind and to serve abundantly without hesitation to say yes even when it inconveniences me so not not because I'm out of guilt not because I'm trying to show off and maybe even say a no sometimes when it when it doesn't please God because I'm taking on too much or something like that but this year, as this, you know, the end of this year comes and we start a new one, it's a good time for us to reflect and to ask these questions. God, am I who you want me to be? In this series, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things. Fellowship and, and community. And, but first, we had to nail down what a church member is. It's a member of the body performs functions to the glory of God. It's not a consumer mentality. It's a place to give because we believe that it's better to give than receive because our God is a cheerful giver. Let's take a moment and just ask God to shine in our hearts Anywhere where we might need to make adjustments to change, to repent. Maybe it has nothing to do with what we talked about today. Maybe some sin is rooted in your life. Maybe there's some hurt and some pain, some loss. Let's take just a few minutes in, in, in some silence and, and pray. Pray.